You're listening to the Get Out and Drive podcast with John Custom Car Nerd Meyer and Jason Old Car Guy Car. We'll be bringing you gearheads everything you never wanted to know about cars and why they should be on the road and not in your garage. Are you ready to get out and drive? Get those cars on the road October 2nd, 2022 to celebrate National Get Out and Drive Day. Visit nationalgetoutanddriveday.com for more info. We know it's only April, but we're already gearing up for National Get Out and Drive Day this October 2nd, 2022. And to make National Get Out and Drive Day even better this year, we've got the Atlantic Nationals Extravaganza in Moncton, New Brunswick jumping on board as an ambassador to help us get out and drive. And if you would like to be a National Get Out and Drive Day ambassador as well, just head over to nationalgetoutanddriveday.com and apply now. And we're back with another episode of the Get Out and Drive podcast. I am John Custom Carnard Meyer. And I am Jason Old Car Guy Car. Jason, I know you like car movies, right? I do, absolutely. You watch all that stuff. You've seen Bullet like a million times, right? Vanishing Point, all those great classics. You always see the cars in the background. I, I know you do. You're you're constantly looking at stuff. I'm yelling at the television. Do you do that? I do. My wife gets mad at me for picking apart the inconsistencies on certain cars and saying, well, that's not that year. And, and they didn't make them with that color or that type of top or that whatever. You know, that's the problem. We, we, we are the type of people who know too much and it just gets in the way sometimes of entertainment. I, I definitely think so, and I, I watch a lot of car movies, as, as a lot of our listeners do, and I've always wondered, there's got to be somebody that decorates the set. Somebody makes sure that they're in period clothes. Somebody makes sure the, you know, the malt shop sign looks all perfect and everything. Somebody's got to work on decorating the set with cars, right? We watched a movie called, or a, a television show, it was called The Astronauts' Wives Club, and of any... Other than like the Wonder Years, the old one and the new one, any period movie and television show, they do an excellent job of decorating, either with vehicles or clothing and stuff like that. But the Astronauts Wives Club, uh, one of the astronauts, her wife pulled up in a 66 Country Squire station wagon. It was white with the wood grain, and it had red lines, bias ply tires, and rough cast American torque trustees. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm screaming and yelling at the television. And and my wife leans to me and goes, what in the hell is your problem? I'm like, get it, get perfect. Whoever that is, I want to shake his hand. And it's cool. And and if, when somebody's like that and somebody's on the technical aspect of the automotive, uh, you know, vehicles and, and, and decorating and things, and that, that just blows my mind. That's fantastic. I agree. There's always got to be somebody there that's doing all of that behind the scenes who very rarely probably even gets the credit for what they deserve. Exactly. Exactly. And what better person to uh, provide the cars for a movie than a car guy, a person that really knows his stuff. And we've got Norman Altsizer from the classic picture car coordinator service. He's the one provides all the cars and background stuff for all the movies and TV shows that you see. What an awesome job. Thanks for being with us, Norman. Well, thank you. Give us a little background on how you came to do this stuff. Did you fall into this, or is this something you wanted to do? Well, I kind of got into it by mistake. Uh, I was working on a car out in the garage one day, 
went to the junkyard to get some parts. And a woman in the office said, there was a woman in here looking for you yesterday. I for said, you well, specifically? Yeah, she said, did, did she have a uniform on or a badge or a gun or anything <laughs> like that? I said, no, it wasn't anything like that. They're making a movie up in Giles County, and nobody on the movie can identify cars built in the 1930s or the 1950s, and they need somebody that can tell them what cars to get. Wow. Well, what you do is you ask and you tell people, this is what I'm looking for. Well, then every once in a while, somebody tries to sneak in a different car or they'll sneak in a modified car. So you have to see, you know, recent pictures of that particular car. Now, if they have a car that looks like a 40 Ford and it has a later model motor and it's a 53 Mercury engine in it, but everything on the outside of that car is 1940. Well, there you go. It's still a 1940 and it'll look like a 40 in the ship. But if you get a 1940 that's been modified with mags and, you know, loud exhaust and all that, can't use that one. But uh, once you get it across that cars from about that one, I was picking cars from about 1929 to 1941 and worked out pretty good. Wow. And how did you source those? Do you get them from uh, friends and car clubs and stuff around? Yeah, that's the best way to do it. Um, I get, I just put the word out, start calling everybody I can think of, and they know people, and I call them. And by the time we were finished, we had 32 cars in. Wow. All of them pre-1941. Nice. And these were all uh, original appearing cars? Yes. Yes, all of them original. Wow. That's neat. That is That's pretty cool. That's what I, I try to strive for is to keep cars in there that are the right year, because if you just go one year off, everybody's going to notice it. That's well, me. Not everybody. everybody yelling at the television. John, John might, I might, my wife hates it. When we watch old movies. I'm like, that's not a sixties car. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I yell at the well, TV me, all the time. Let me tell you something that happened during that show. We were unloading a really horrible looking old 29 Ford, taking it off the trailer when we took it off, the front wheel fell off. Oh, no. And I called up a parts store, send me some love nuts, and they only had three. So I put the wheel back on with three modern lug nuts. You know, that was 13 years ago, and I still hear about those three lug nuts. I mean, you can see them in the movie for one second, and people uh-huh. saw it. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I watch movies, and, and I see white-letter tires on cars that are in the <laughs> 60s. And in yes. and 50s and 50s and 60s, that, and then I'm like, and I'm yelling at the television. And my wife says, shut up, enjoy the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> you have to really go the extra mile to make that happen. Well, that's one thing about the car community is that everybody knows somebody else that, that's into the thing, whether it's a car club, whether it's friends, family. One of the things that I've always admired about watching older, uh, you know, motion pictures or miniseries or whatever it happens to be is the consistency involved in getting the cars for the right year. Norman, how is it that you are able to source these cars out, say, like you said, 1941? Like, how do you go out and you say, I'm looking for these specific cars? If it's a 42, I don't want it. Well, what I do is I wait until 
a company calls me about doing a movie or a television show, that type of thing, then mm-hmm. they tell me what year they're looking for. That's really important. You don't want to go beyond that year. Then I start looking for the cars and I look usually as close to where the movie is as possible. That way, the people that own the cars can drive to and from the movie if that's what it takes. Sometimes the cars are actually put in a storage lot or a storage building at the location where they're doing the show. Mm -hmm. Did one of those recently called a league of their own that they did in Pittsburgh. And they had maybe 50 cars that they kept on site in a building and they took them out and put them on site for the movie and then took them back to the building at night. So they were kept kind of safe. That worked out pretty good. It's always better if you can have the owner of the car drive the car. That gets rid of a lot of insurance problems. <laughs> yeah. And they can get more out of that car than anybody else can anyway. Well, I've always wondered, like when we're doing, when, when they do these videos uh, uh, or movies or TV shows based, say, back in the 60s or 70s or whatever, and they've got to get those details. They've got to get those cars for like a whole series, whether it be a, you know, two, three, four, five seasons. How do they, how do they keep so many cars at such a, over such a period of time? Like, is it like you said, they have lots that they keep these cars in for say uh, the shooting of a movie. Well, a movie can take place over a short period of time versus a mini series, which might be you no know, years. Like how do they how do they keep the numbers of cars under control uh, for certain series like that? When they work on them, if you're doing a series, they'll probably do the entire series or one show one year in probably three months. Then the cars go home and you know they put them in car shows, clean them up, that kind of thing. Then they get a another year to do it. Well, they bring them back for another three months. And sometime the production company will buy a particular car or cars and they own those cars. They're usually the main vehicles that are in the, in the show. The other cars are the ones that you see driving up and down the road, parked in a parking lot. Uh, Maybe some particular person will drive one up one day or something like that. But uh, as a show goes on, for season after season after season, the uh, production companies usually wind up buying more and more cars. Those cars are actually owned by the production company. When the show is finally finished and they're not going to make any more, then they have to sell those cars and they'll sell them to anyone that wants to buy them. Wow. If you want to buy one, there's your shot. <laughs> there we go. Well, that, that sounds pretty cool. Wow. What's, what's the newest types of vehicle that you've, uh, you've had to supply? The newest ones I've supplied have probably been uh, a few late model Porsches. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were brought in for a movie, and I think that was the latest I've worked with. And they had clutches, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were, we, you were saying off camera or uh, off, of, uh, off mic earlier, you, you, you run into a lot of people that, are involved with movies and they don't know how to drive a stick. Is that true? Stunt men. That is the weirdest thing I've ever ran into. Not a single stunt driver that I can find can drive a car with a clutch. I had one 
offer to get in a truck, or he was supposed to drive a truck, that 1941 mm-hmm. GMC. He came up, opened the door, started to get in and said, what's that third pedal for? I said, that's a clutch. You're a stunt driver. You know what that is. Oh, I don't drive cars with a clutch. Got out and walked away. Wow. I wouldn't drive it. That's super hard to believe, Jason. Well, you know, believe it or not, it's not hard to believe. Being from the used <laughs> car dealer business, like we don't carry manual transmissions anymore for that reason. Not many people are looking for them, but that seems to be the generation that we're bringing up. Uh, you know, your stunt drivers might be in their early 20s or, or 30s, you know, and not driven a stick. One of the things that we, uh, we always like to find out are some of the, you know, what's the most interesting car that you've ever had to source out? Has there ever been a specific type of car they've said, Norman, we need this. It's got to be this. It's got to be this, whatever it was. Was there something specific they told you they wanted you to find? Yes. <laughs> a 1962 Rambler American. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. It, it looks like a, a shoebox on wheels. That's all right. This thing had just about rusted in half. The floorboards were rusted out of it. The muffler had rusted in half. Only had brakes on the front wheels. The gas tank had rusted out. I had to tie a gas tank in the trunk so we'd have a gas tank. Got up underneath of it with metal strips and muffler strip uh, sealer wrapped around the muffler to hold it together, tried to put some wall paneling in the rear floorboard so the exhaust wouldn't come up and gas anybody in it. (laughs) The gear shifter didn't work right, so I had to lay in the back seat, and every time the driver had to shift gears, I'd have to come up out of the back seat and shift the gears over the seat. Oh, my. And that was how we drove it through the whole movie. Oh, my God. That is insane. Yeah, that's what, what is, you do when you're a picture car coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is crazy. Well, on top of that, I had to teach two girls how to drive it. What is the reason that they needed that specific car? The art director thought that would be really cool. <laughs> and that was his reasoning. Oh, all right. Good. And that was Crazy. the only one you could find? Found it in a junkyard. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Bought it out of a junkyard. <laughs> well, in the original script on this one, they were going to flip it over a bank. <laughs> and they decided not to do it because it might disintegrate. <laughs> oh, my. Just just get one of your stuntmen that can't drive a stick to get in that thing. He'd have to worry about surviving. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We, we always love breakdown stories and, and repairing things on the road and absolutely crazy bandaging things together. Like you were talking about with the Rambler. What is other than that Rambler, what's the craziest thing you've done if a car's broke down on the, on the set to get it going? When you're out there on the set and a car breaks down, I mean, you've got all of 30 seconds to get it running again. I think the car I was working on was a 32, I think it was a 32 Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. And I had to hook a cable to it, hook it onto the back of my truck and pull it. And later they added the sound of another car to it. Like it started up and drove away. So it was a static rolling display. It was, it was yeah. just a piece that rolled. It did that day. <laughs> it did that day. That's pretty cool. 
And if you guys are listening to this podcast right now and you're looking for your very own 32 Ford, make sure you head over to racingjunk.com. They've got all kinds of used vehicles, great selection of classified. Head on over there and find something new to you today. Definitely, definitely. Racing Junk is is, uh, is an absolutely fantastic place to find a new project. Uh, or, uh, Norman, you may find people on there that are selling cars or want to rent out cars. That would be fantastic. Good, good oh, place yeah. to look. You know, Jason, we sure get to talk a lot. Yes, and some of us more than others. Who, me? I'm not pointing any fingers. Yes, you are. But we want to hear from our listeners. Just go to our website, getoutanddrive.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click the listener hotline button. We want to hear from you. Cool stories, breakdown stories, questions, comments, hate mail, even hate mail, even hate mail. You got a car show in your area? Let us know. Tell us an interesting story. Let us know what you like to get out and drive. I know, I know a lot of cars are, are driving. Do they have you supply cars that are static, just uh, parked on the street kind of things? Are they looking for just driving cars from you, or are you involved with the sec decoration as well? No, I only bring in cars that will run under their own power. Okay. And they use those sometimes just park on the street, but you have to move them. So I have the driver there with it. And when they say, okay, we're ready to move down the street. And the drivers jump in them and down the street to go. And then sometime they just have them drive up and down the street. They're just the traffic on the street. Mm-hmm. Now, are those those drivers, they put them in period clothes and things as well in case they're in the scene? Yes. Yes, they run through uh, costume and get dressed mm-hmm. up for the park and everything. I even get to do that sometime. You've, you've been involved with uh, being in the movie and things, and and, and we could – we could see a movie uh, that, that you provided a car for? Oh, yeah. You can see uh, a lot of different uh, cars that I've provided for. Mm-hmm. Uh, wish you well. There is a real tearjerker. If you watch huh. that one, it's a great movie, a lot of cars in it, but you're going to have a crying tale. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> that was my first one that I did. And also, you might want to watch the History Channel. Okay. Uh, the World Wars. Okay. There's a lot of good cars in that one. We were trying to get one car, a particular German open-top Mercedes for Hitler to ride in. We found it, but they couldn't get it out of the building because they had modified the building, and the car was too long to make a turn, oh. and they couldn't get it out of the building. Oh, my goodness. But if you want to watch that one, you'll get to see me in two different episodes. I was wow. one of Hitler's generals. I was General Yodels. <laughs> I got my neck stretched in 1946. Nice. You look just <laughs> like him, by the way. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so, Norman, I know sometimes there's often mistakes that happen uh, on set with, uh, you know, cars and, uh, and different props and stuff like that. Has there ever been a time where you've, either rented or, or used somebody else's car and well, there's been an oopsie. Has there ever been an opportunity where someone else's car has been damaged on set? There has been. And one of the big problems is directors don't understand that if you need to dull the appearance of a car, they have this stuff in a big sack. Looks like talcum powder. You put that stuff on the car, it dulls the uh, 
the paint. The only problem is it eats the paint up. <laughs> oh, it eats the uh-oh. rubber up on the car. Wow. And recently we had a problem with that. And the production company wound up painting about six cars because of that. It cost them a lot of money. You don't want to do that. Don't use that stuff. <laughs> I had always heard that they, they spray painted chrome and things like on Mayberry and a lot of the old 50s shows and things. They spray painted chrome on the cars and some of the cars with hairspray. Have you heard that? Is that correct? They did use some things like that, mm-hmm. and they could just wipe it off afterwards. Just yeah. wash it off, and it's gone. No big problem. Yeah. And that was good. I mean, I got to hand it to the people that came up with that one. That was a good idea. Yeah, keep the camera equipment and uh, and all the filming equipment and everything out of the reflection of the chrome bumper. And and I'd always heard that they sprayed stuff with simply with hairspray. You can use talcum powder okay. on chrome, and it will dull it enough that uh, you won't see that. And that is a problem. Uh, seeing your camera as a reflection in a mirror, a headlight, a windshield, anything like that. So they try everything to keep that from happening. Has anybody driven one of the uh, one of the cars a little bit more rough? Because I know you say a lot of the owners of the vehicles have to drive the cars. Somebody that may not be the owner, have they driven a car a little bit more rough than they should have? Not of the cars I have supplied, but the production companies have bought some cars that that did happen to and blew yeah. the engines up in them. <laughs> oh. They'd give a car to somebody and, here, take care of this car until tomorrow. Well, the guy goes out, gets drunk at night, takes off down the road and blows the engine up in it. Oh my. Next day, the car's not on set. Well, where's the car? Oh, uh, well, uh, all the oil ran out of it last night going down the road. <laughs> what do you mean all oil ran out? Well, it's got a big hole in the bottom of the oil pan. <laughs> yeah, that t- well, that's where that rod went through. Oh, my and, God. Uh, you know, what in the world do you do then? Yeah. I've seen several different movies and things that I've heard that uh, certain uh, they shall be remain nameless people uh, purchased uh, restored cars from eBay or other collectors and things and absolutely beat them to death. And and uh, that's in some of the newer movies and things. Uh, I've, I've heard that quite a lot. Have you have you heard anything like that, that, that people have purchased cars? Yes, and that does it was, happen. It, it, it was not... Uh, undisclosed to the the person that they're buying it from that we're going to take your car and we're going to uh, you know drive the drive the wheels off of it and crash it. That used to happen, and it gave the business a bad name. Mm-hmm. When I would contact people a few years ago, they would say, "Oh no, I'm not going to put my car in there. I know what you're going to do with it." I said, "What do you What do you think we're going to do with it? Oh, you're going to take it out and abuse it and wreck it and tear it all to pieces? When it comes back to me, it'll it'll be just a pile of junk." Yeah. And that did happen. It used to happen. Put it that way. Now production companies will buy the car mm-hmm. if they're going to take it out and tear it up. And that way it's covered. That's good. That's good. And Norman, so you had mentioned before we went live here that uh, you're located in Virginia. So yes. how far would you travel or does how far does the production company want you to go to help source out some of these vehicles? I know you sometimes would have to travel great distances depending on where they were filming i took a a mac bus all the way up to montreal canada and put it in a movie called race and i was up there with the bus for three weeks driving it around in montreal (laughs) oh nice 
So do you ever have to go, like, uh, let's say they want you to fly to Idaho. I'm just using Idaho as an example. No offense to anybody from Idaho. Wow. Have you ever had to fly to Idaho and say, okay, I need to go find 20 cars from the local area? Uh, obviously, it would save on shipping costs, but do you ever have to travel and go source out cars in another state? Yes, I do from time to time. I just finished working on one in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's called a league of their own. Hasn't come out yet. It'll come out this spring. And uh, it was all pre-1943 cars in military vehicles. Got some military vehicles in that one. But uh, that's about it. A lot of a lot of states don't want picture car coordinators coming from another state. They say, well, that interferes with uh, with our people. And then the union gets involved in it. And they don't want non-union people. Here in Virginia, this is pretty much a non-union state. It's a right-to-work state. So they don't want me working in their state unless there's no other way. Wow. I, I didn't know it was all that intricate. That's uh, is. <laughs> that is interesting. Uh, have you have you supplied cars that had to be uh, a hero car and another car that was identical to it? Like supply more than one car that's the same that plays the same part. Yes, I did once, and uh, they only needed one car, so that one other car just sat there. <laughs> it never was used. I don't know why they did that. Right. Well, I, I've I've heard and and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know uh, you know car coordinator would know a lot more than I did. I think it maybe has to do with uh, like dealing with children. You know, you've got uh, two twins, and one is fussy, and and one actually wants to do the scene, and they may want to do that with two different cars. Have you seen that happen? That they want two cars, and one will break down, and they need the other one that looks like it, so they can just keep filming. They feel safer. If that happens. Okay. Recently, I worked on a movie. Well, not a movie, but a television series called Dope Sick. Mm -hmm. And we use several doubles in that one. Um, you may only see them for a couple of seconds, but they're there. If you watch it really close, you'll see this doctor in there and he drives a pickup truck. Well, that's Michael Keaton. At one point, he's driving a pickup truck. And a car runs into his truck. Oh. Totally different truck. <laughs> <laughs> you have to look close to see it. But the truck that gets hit is a heavy-duty four-wheel drive, three-quarter ton. The one he drove is a uh, eight-foot bid, half-ton pickup. Mm -hmm. So if you really know what you're looking at, you'll see it. So, Norman, you've been doing the picture car scene now for how many years? Uh, what, uh, 12 years? About 13. Yep. All so together. In, in all those years that you've been doing this, obviously you've built a reputation for finding these cars. What's some of the, I, I'm not getting you to name drop people, but what are some of the big corporations that come looking for you? Is it like Universal or whoever that's, that comes out looking for these cars from you? They come looking for me through the producers. Um, Sony Pictures, Disney, that kind of thing. A lot of the pictures that I do here 
in Virginia are independents and they simply hear from me from someone else who had done a, a movie and they'll call me up. Hey, can you find 10 cars from 1929? And I'll start looking for them, get them all lined up and ready to go. And off we go. Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it is. That, that is pretty cool. Are you involved with making sure the vehicles are accurate for not just the year that they were uh, vehicles produced, like say 1940 uh, vehicle? Are you in charge of decorating the vehicle to make sure that it is year accurate? If it's a if it's a uh, uh, period piece, if at all possible, I actually go and look at the car, make sure the car is up and running has brakes on it and can stop, that kind of thing. Now, if not, I had the owner take a lot of pictures of that car, both sides, front, back, motor, interior, dashboard, everything. So by the time it gets there, I know that car is right. Whereas, you know, like we talked about uh, just before we got on here about having, you know, white letter tires on a 60s car and, and things like that. Are you in charge of decorating the car to make sure it matches the film? Yes, I make sure that that car is authentic. Mm-hmm. Now, once in a while, they'll ask for a piece of junk. <laughs> um, I did one that had this cut down A model truck in it and when it got there it wouldn't start it ran ran great but it wouldn't start starter was shot so every time it started we had to push it off to get it to start (laughs) in this movie you never actually see that vehicle start you see it run you'll see it drive but every time it starts you're hearing my car start (laughs) You got to pop start it and roll it through the scene. Yeah. But <laughs> um, sometime you have to do that. You have to be ready to deal with anything. <laughs> it sounds like you're working kind of off the cuff because uh, I know I've driven plenty of vehicles and, and they run great on Monday and not on Tuesday. Oh, man. You've got to be a mechanic to be a picture car coordinator because you're forever fixing something. I had to sit in a police car one day and hold wires together to make the lights work on the roof. <laughs> and this cop pulls up behind a pickup truck, jumps out, walks up. Let me see your driver's license. The guy picks up a sawed-off shotgun out of the front seat and shoots him, and then he has to pull off. The people that ran the, the truck had already burnt the clutch out of the truck. <laughs> it didn't have a clutch. It couldn't pull off. <laughs> <laughs> so we tied a Toyota pickup truck to the front bumper. I don't mean tied it with a rope. We tied it to the bumper. Well, they had a drone there that went straight up in the air with the camera to it to film the truck pulling off. But the wind hit the drone, flipped it over, and it crashed into the ground and broke into a million pieces. (laughs) So the next day when the man came back with a new drone, it took off and went straight up in the air, and we pulled the truck off with a Toyota pickup truck (laughs) tied to the front bumper. 
Wow. And that's what you have to do to make a movie. <laughs> Hollywood's secrets revealed on the Get Out and Drive podcast. Talk about your movie magic, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, movie magic. Right <laughs> if, if anything can possibly go wrong, it will. And then some. And then some. My word. I always thought it was technically, you know, impossible to have a car, you know, screech up to the bank and everybody gets inside and robs the bank, comes out, starts up and goes. And it's just, it it just doesn't happen in real life. (laughs) No. (laughs) Now, I own plenty of carbureted cars myself, and I know there's never a time that I just run into it, start it up the first time and take off. That just never happens. Anyways. Maybe that's my problem. But Norman, one thing I wanted to ask you is you are a mechanic or you're mechanically inclined, obviously, to be doing this job. What vehicles do you have of your own that you work on? Oh, man. A 29 Ford, a 65 Volkswagen Bug. That's my daily driver. A 66 Volkswagen Bus, a 61 Volkswagen pickup truck that I just finished restoring, a 91 Volkswagen Cabriolet, a 42 Canadian Military Harley, a 48 Harley-Davidson, a 49 Harley-Davidson, and another 49 Harley-Davidson. Nice That's collection. That's what I did, I think. <laughs> Impressive. Nice collection of stuff. I might miss something. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely. My, my follow-up question to that, Norman, is have you ever used any of your vehicles in movie production? Yes, I have. Uh, the 29 Ford, that thing has been in service its entire life, never been out of service. So it's never been restored. It has burlap sacks on the seats. And I put it in a movie and it shows up wherever they needed to show that poor people were there. (laughs) (laughs) It's a poor person's car. It is. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the dust bowl car kind of thing. Exactly. Nice. (laughs) Unrestored jalopy. That's fantastic. So uh, are you working on anything currently or in the future? What do you have uh, What do you have that you can talk about? And if you can't, I understand. Well, it's a little bit early for the movie production to start up. I'll probably start hearing things about next month. And uh, then I'm off and gone again. <laughs> That's how it works. What's usually lead time from when people ask to when you have to uh, get things actually on set? If they can give me a month and a half, that's great. The problem is most of the producers and directors are not car people. They think you can go out in a parking lot and find a 1950 Chevrolet. That's not going to happen. Um Sometimes it's as little as three weeks. Wow. That is brutal when that happens. Yeah. For a reliable vehicle, I could see that would be very brutal. Yeah. My goodness. So you have a good. It also depends on how much they're going to pay for a car. You know, if they say, oh, yeah, we need 10 cars. Oh, by the way, we're going to pay $50 a day for them. Uh, we want no. them in three weeks. That's not going to happen. Are you seeing that they they want to pinch pennies and not pay very much for their for the vehicles they use? About half of the production companies are actually in that situation now. 
we have uh, our our mantra here is uh, what drives youth and trying to get the next generation get kids involved and things like that are you doing anything with your uh, picture car coordinator service are you doing anything to get younger generation involved with vintage cars I'm probably not doing very much in the movie industry mm-hmm. to get people interested, but I belong to the local antique car club. Okay. Now, most of our members, as you can imagine, <laughs> they're probably in their eighties. Sure. Unfortunately, that's the truth. I've talked to a number of young people and one particular young person really stands out. 17 years old, that boy lives and breathes old cars. Nice. And he is doing great. He will graduate in a year from now. He'll be an Eagle Scout when he graduates. And he wants to go to engineer school, become an engineer. But he already has a 69, no, wait a minute, 72 Ford pickup truck. Beautiful thing. He is headed in the right direction. That's good. And you're kind of working as a mentor and kind of kicking him in the right direction. Yeah. He comes down and helps me work on cars. Great. Did you teach him how to drive a model a? <laughs> no, but I would love to. Cause, cause I that, think he would do good. I, I, I think he would as well. I know I've spoken about it on another, uh, one of our previous podcasts, but that's kind of how, how I was thrown into things. And as a, as a younger 20 something, I had one of the local neighborhood, uh, auto restoration guys. He pulled up in a 28 model, a closed cab pickup, fully restored and everything. He said, you want to go for a ride? And I said, sure. And I went to go open up passenger door and, uh, he said, no, you're driving. Cause he saw that I had a garage and I was working on my own cars and things. And uh, he screwed up the levers and he screwed up the timing and screwed up everything and turned off the carburetor and the fuel and everything. And, and uh, he got out. I walked on over and I did what I was supposed to set the timing and, and uh, set the throttle and adjusted the carburetor and everything like I was supposed to and started the truck up. And he'd never seen anybody do that before. That was my age. He said, where in the hell did you learn how to do that? And, and I said, I, I learned with my mouth shut. And because I talked to a lot of the older guys around in the, in the car shows and, and things like that, other people had taught me how to do that. And he was thinking he was going to throw me a curveball, and he was going to explain to me how to drive Model A. And, and he was very surprised that I already knew how. That, that is good. That was a pretty good experience. I, I, he pulled up one day in a uh, 48 Super Deluxe Coupe, and we went out to drive, and I pulled up to a stoplight. And I revved the engine up and he said, what the hell are you doing? I said, well, I want to make sure that the engine's going to uh, not going to die because we're just sitting at a stoplight. He goes, don't do that. He said, if these two lights here don't come on, that engine's still running. And it's amazing to drive a vehicle that's restored. That fan belt is, is louder than the engine, you know, and, and, and it's, everything is whisper quiet. It is amazing. And you can balance a nickel on the radiator cap. Right. Some of the people don't, don't recognize that the amount of tuning and restoration and the amount of time and hours and hours to make something work perfectly. That's 80, 90 years old. Exactly. It takes a lot of effort. You want me to tell you something really weird? Yes. A lady gave me most of a T model just to get it out from under her back 
board, Jim. Give her that thing. Get it out of here. So I took it to school when I was teaching auto mechanics, and I let only the kids that had never touched a wrench work on that vehicle. They built it, built a T-model out of it that was up and running. You know about T-model. Those things have their own conscience. One day we were working on it there. And one of the boys said, man, if I had this old car, I'd pull that little four-cylinder motor out and stick a V8 in it the next day. (laughs) The next thing that happened, that thing went bump and jumped on his foot. It was sitting there with his foot under the front wheel. He was hollering, yelling. I said, what do you say to that car? He said, I'd pull that little four-cylinder out and stick a V8 in it. And look what it did. <laughs> you said that to a T model. You can't say that to a T model. Those things know what you're talking about. That thing will... I don't know it, but I gotta get it off my foot. <laughs> that thing will jump so up and snatch you bald headed. <laughs> finally, a bunch of us picked it up and he pulled his foot out from under it. He said, Man, I'll never say that again. I said, You know better than to say things like that to a T model. They know what's going on. Yep. Yeah, I know that now. I tried to teach my wife how to drive my T-Model one day. Got out in front of the house, got her in there behind the, the wheel, let the brake off. Now, all you got to do is push that pedal down. We're going up the road. No. <laughs> that car just sat there and jumped up and down. It would not move with her behind the wheel. Oh my. It just didn't like her. And I got behind the wheel, and it just went right on up the road. No problem at all. Oh, my. But you just do not say things like that to a T-Mod. They, oh. they, they'll come and get you. <laughs> they'll come and get you. I, I love watching the uh, watching the teardown and reassembles of, the, of Model yeah. Ts. We've got the Model A Club and Model T Club and things in St. Louis, and they'll come in and, you know, build a Model T in, I don't know, five minutes or whatever the heck it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Anybody can build one. Right. The guy's building the World War II Jeeps. You know, they put it all back in the crate, and then they pull it back out, and they reassemble it in front of you. That is amazing stuff to me. Um, If people were wanting to get a hold of you uh, that may have a vehicle that they believe would suit suit you, how can our listeners get a hold of you? All they have to do is call me, 540-915-4057. Give me a call. Let me know what you got. Well, that's uh, that's definitely good, and we'll make sure you have uh, all the links to you and your phone number and uh, and how to get a hold of you in case uh, some of our listeners want to want to talk to you about a vehicle they may have that can uh, can work for you. Well, thank you. One last thing that I want to know is, you know, we all grow up having somebody that was uh, fortunate enough to take their time to teach us a few things about cars. I'm lucky enough that it was my dad. Uh, my dad is still around. I work with him every day and I attribute all of my car knowledge, everything I've learned, everything I love about cars to my dad. But what I want to know from you, Norman, is what drives you? I suppose I've been a car person all my life. My uncle had a 35 Ford that he stripped down to nothing but a chassis. And then he used to take me for a ride on that thing. If it had nothing but a front seat bolted to the frame and he'd drive it around there and I'd look down between my feet and I could see the ground going by and I could 
see the drive shaft bouncing up and down, and I could feel the wind in my hair and the blow by in my face. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess that's what did it. That's all I can think of. Been working on cars ever since. No, well, that's that's a great story. Well, thank you. Yeah. Excellent. I was Excellent. five years old then. Eleven years later, I was building carburetors. Nice. Well, it sounds like you're pretty much immersed in uh, in automotive history and culture and things like that. Uh, I've had a great time talking to you today. Well, I've certainly enjoyed being on your show. <laughs> awesome. Will you take care and uh, hopefully you have some uh, more movies to keep you busy here shortly. I hope so. Awesome. We have a great day, Norn. You too. Take care. Thank you. You know, Jason, I know you're new to the Get Out and Drive podcast. Don't you have something else on YouTube like every Thursday? Yeah, we have a podcast style live stream that happens on YouTube called the Car Guy and Six Fan Show. It's myself and Grant Tommy, who goes by Straight Six Fan on YouTube. And we talk a lot about cars, only it's live. If you're not getting enough on the Get Out and Drive podcast, you can head over to the Car Guy and Six Fan Show every Thursday evening at 7 o'clock Central. It's a collaborative effort between myself and Straight Six Fan. So it alternates from my YouTube channel to his every Thursday night. I've been there. It's cool. That's where all the cool guys hang out. It sure is. And we look forward to seeing you again. Are you looking for more action-packed car content? Head over to YouTube for the Car Guy and Six Fan Show on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Find a link in the show notes and let them know you heard about it from the Get Out and Drive podcast. Speed over to our friends at RacingJunk.com and sign up for a Pro Club membership. Use the code GETOUT to receive a discount when you sign up for a Pro Club membership. Cruise on over to our website, GetOutAndDrive.com, for all the info you never wanted to know about our podcast. Hit us up on our listener hotline, be the first to know what's happening, get industry news, and grab your Get Out and Drive merch. Connect with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Follow us on Twitter at Get Out and Drive Pod. What drives you? you?